You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. The FSB is active against Ukrainian targets as NATO continues to work out the cybersecurity assistance it will provide Kiev. Black Cat is found to be connected to the Dark Side gang. The FBI issues an alert about Lockbit. Kevin McGee from Microsoft on their final report on Nobelium and the SolarWinds attack. Rick Howard steers the hash table towards supply chains. And the U.S. has indicted six call centers in India. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, February 7th, 2022. Researchers update their accounts of Russian cyber espionage as observers look at the complexity of Russia's decision making with respect to Ukraine. Microsoft late Friday released more information on the threat actor it calls Actinium and that others call Gamaradon or Primitive Bear. The Microsoft Threat Intelligence Center, Mystic, quote, has observed Actinium targeting organizations in Ukraine spanning government, military, non-government organizations, judiciary, law enforcement, and nonprofit with the primary intent of exfiltrating sensitive information, maintaining access, and using acquired access to move laterally into related organizations. Mystic has observed Actinium operating out of Crimea with objectives consistent with cyber espionage. End quote. Actinium, Mystic concludes, represents a different set of activities than the pseudo-ransomware wiper deployed against Ukrainian sites in January. So, they don't believe Actinium is responsible for Whispergate. Ukrainian security services have attributed the activity to the FSB, specifically an FSB unit operating out of Crimea, and it's significant that Mystic also sees Actinium's geographical base as lying in the peninsula Russia seized in 2014. Primitive Bear is not generally reckoned as smarter than the average bear, but neither are its operators complete rookies either. They vary their infrastructure periodically to evade detection, using over a 30-day period some 25 new unique domains and more than 80 distinct IP addresses. Its domain name DNS records change on the average of once a day, not fast enough to count as fast flux, but enough for a plausible form of evasiveness. In general, Actinium quickly develops new obfuscated and lightweight capabilities to deploy more advanced malware later. These are fast-moving targets with a high degree of variance. The group also hosts the malicious macros remotely, which helps them evade detection by static analytical systems. Microsoft sees Actinium's principal objectives as collection 
and establishing persistence within targeted organizations in furtherance of future cyber espionage. It's typically gained initial access through phishing. Some of its phishing emails misrepresented themselves as coming from the World Health Organization. The Wall Street Journal reports, quote, After the attack last month, Lithuania offered to deploy a group of emergency defenders, known as the Cyber Rapid Response Team, to help protect Ukraine's networks. The Rapid Response Team includes cybersecurity experts from Lithuania, Estonia, Croatia, Poland, the Netherlands, and Romania, end quote. While Ukraine hasn't yet accepted the offer, Viktor Zora, Chief Digital Transformation Officer at Ukraine's State Service of Special Communications and Information Protection, suggested that Kiev could use assistance with quick response and quick countermeasures to defend their networks. U.S. Deputy National Security Advisor Ann Neuberger has been consulting with NATO allies to organize a coordinated response to cyber threats Russia poses to Ukraine and by implication to Ukraine's neighbors and supporters. The Telegraph quotes her on the way in which a hybrid war is likely to develop. She said, quote, We've been warning for weeks and months, both publicly and privately, that cyber attacks could be part of a broad-based Russian effort to destabilize and further invade Ukraine. The Russians understand disabling or destroying critical infrastructure can augment pressure on the country's government, military, and population and accelerate the receding to Russian objectives. End quote. Why hasn't Ukraine been given access to NATO's cooperative cyber defense of excellence? The Kiev Post, citing Oleksiy Danilov, Secretary of Ukraine's National Security and Defense Council, says Hungary blackballed Ukraine's membership late last year. Danilov says Hungary was the only NATO member to vote against Ukraine's membership. The Black Cat ransomware gang, thought to be responsible for fuel delivery disruptions in Germany, has been traced, tentatively at least, to former members of the Black Matter Dark Side group. Black Cat is the name Malware Hunter team gave them when the threat actor emerged in November. The gang calls itself Alf V and would rather you address it as such. Bleeping Computer describes Black Cat as a feature-rich operation, unusual in that it writes its code in Rust. It is, like its apparent predecessors, a ransomware-as-a-service player that gives its affiliates a highly customizable attack tool. In a conversation with the record, Black Cat does the usual horn tooting and, amid other inside baseball gassing, says it's a former Darkside affiliate that borrowed their advantages and eliminated their disadvantages. They say they're apolitical and very good at what they do, but they quack like Russian privateers. An MSISoft analyst, Brett Callow, thinks Black Cat isn't a former Darkside affiliate at all, but simply Darkside itself, undergoing a rebranding after their loss of face due to an error that MSISoft took advantage of to enable victims to recover their files without paying up. This cost affiliates millions. That's also essentially what Darkside's C2C rival Lockbit said back in December. Darkside was brought down by the attention it drew when it attacked the colonial pipeline in the U.S., which suggests that Black Cat's attack on oil tanking may be a case of history repeating itself. Speaking of Lockbit, the FBI's Friday flash alert on that gang hints that Lockbit may soon receive some unwelcome law enforcement attention itself. Lockbit has been a player in the ransomware-as-a-service market since September of 2019. 
They've achieved additional notoriety more recently for their efforts to bypass initial access brokers or rogue pen testers and instead recruit insiders from their victims who'd be willing to give up their organizations in exchange for a cut of the take. To hear Lockbit tell it, the rewards they're offering the faithless for betrayal are better than chump change. Bleeping Computer quoted one such come-on back in August. Quote, Would you like to earn millions of dollars? Our company acquire access to networks of various companies, as well as insider information that can help you steal the most valuable data of any company. You can provide us accounting data for the access to any company, for example, login and password to RDP, VPN, corporate mail, etc. Open our letter at your email. Launch the provided virus on any computer in your company. Companies pay us the foreclosure for the decryption of files and prevention of data leak. End quote. Millions of dollars seems like a stretch, but whatever Lockbit's offering is more than the proverbial 30 pieces of silver. Anyway, it's too much to expect truth in advertising on the criminal-to-criminal marketplace. As the old UMW leader John L. Lewis said in a different context many years ago, he who tooteth not his own horn, the same shall not be tooted. So factor that in. Still, probably not chump change. The Bureau's advice is sound, if familiar. Use strong and unique passwords. Use multi-factor authentication. Keep your software up to date. Enable protected files in Windows. Use a host-based firewall. And finally, restrict privileges and access to users who actually need them. The alert also advises network segmentation. Monitor systems and networks for unusual activity. Use time-based access for admin accounts. Disable command line and scripting activities and permissions. Regularly backup data offline and ensure the backups are both encrypted and immutable. If you see signs of Lockbit, the Bureau would like to hear from you. Good hunting, FBI. And finally, you know those guys who call you up and say they're from the Social Security Police and tell you that your Social Security number has been involved in criminal fraud and is about to be suspended. We get them all the time, and they always sound like they're being placed from some boiler room or someplace like that and not from a nice office park on Security Boulevard. Some of them have been quite rude when our Social Security desk sought to engage them in conversation and appeal to their conscience or sense of religious devotion, shouting, F you, for example, before slamming down their phone or growling, we're going to drag you out in handcuffs, stuff like that. Well, hey, what do you know? Turns out they may not be legit after all. The U.S. Attorney's Office for the Northern District of Georgia has announced the indictment of six call centers in India and their directors on charges related to conspiracy to defraud. The scams included not only the Social Security police shtick, but also loan scams and IRS payment fraud. The U.S. Attorney also offers some advice for that dwindling number of Americans who still answer their voice calls. Quote, The public should exercise caution with any caller who claims to be a government employee. Government agencies will never threaten you with immediate arrest or other legal action if you do not send cash, retail gift cards, wire transfers, or internet currency. They will also never demand secrecy from you in resolving a debt or any other problem. End quote. Good advice. Remember, none of this is real. Although we confess we'll miss listening to the editorial staff's chats with the scammers and their appeals to the better nature of the boiler room.
Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And it's always a pleasure to welcome back to the show our own Rick Howard. He is the CyberWire's Chief Security Officer, Chief Analyst. Uh, Rick, it's great to have you back. You know, last year, 2021, seemed to me to be the year of the supply chain attack. You know, we had big headline news about IT vendor victims. We talked about SolarWinds. We talked about Excelion. Um, and I know a number of our listeners who lost a huge portion of their holiday break dealing with the whole Log4J vulnerability. Yeah, that's true. You know, it feels like it feels like supply chain attacks are new or certainly focused on, but that's that's really not the case, is it? It feels like that. I, I know what you mean, right? And then, but you know, supply chain attacks have been around since the internet was young. You know, nation state actors like you know North Korea, Russia, China, and the U.S. By the way, you know, they've all been using that technique since at least the early two thousands, and probably much earlier than that. In the commercial space, probably the most infamous case, uh, I wonder if you remember in this, Dave, is when the hackers broke into the Home Depot network. This is back in 2014. Uh, mm. The way they did it is they first compromised the Home Depot HVAC contractor, then leveraged their credentials to get into the Home Depot network. So that was the first one that I can remember. Yeah, so it's, it's not so much that it's new, but I guess it feels right now like we're just really focused, thinking hard about how to protect against this particular attack vector. Um, and that is the topic, uh, indeed, of this week's CSO Perspectives episode. 
Yeah, that's right. We decided to take a closer look at the strategies that you that could mitigate the risk to something tolerable, you know. And to be fair, though, all of us knew, you know, all of us network defenders have known about this attack vector, you know, for years. But it hadn't really happened that many times. And so we didn't really dedicate a lot of resources to solving it. I mean, you know, we got all of us have a million things we have to do. Right. So uh, so this right. is one more thing on the plate. But with all the news from last year, protecting against supply chain attacks has become a priority in the network defender zeitgeist, right? So we take a look at our first principle, zero trust strategy, all right, to limit access and privilege to all the software and, uh, and vendors that you use in the supply chain today. And then how a technique called uh, software bill of materials, which has been in the news of late, these S-bombs, basically a food label for the software that you use, might help us in the relatively near future. All right. Well, we will check it out for sure. It is CSO Perspectives, part of CyberWire Pro. You can find out all about it on our website, thecyberwire.com. Rick Howard, thanks for joining us. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Kevin McGee. He's the Chief Security Officer at Microsoft Canada. Kevin, it's always great to have you back on the show. Um, you and your colleagues uh, recently released your final report on Nobelium, which is, uh, of course, part of the Solar Winds campaign there. I want to check in with you on that. What are some of the things in the report that uh, caught your eye? I took a number of lessons away from the report, Dave, and and uh, they really gave me an opportunity through this uh, this attack and this report to step back and start to look at the broader picture of some of these uh, the the future of these attacks, and that's looking at the overall TTP of the specific threat actor over a longer period of time. You can start to see out patterns or see you know sort of the future of where attacks are headed that you can't see in individual sort of random smash and grab attacks. This was a very thought out nation state sponsored or or equivalent attack, uh, primarily uh, devoted to gain strategic advantage over another country by stealing secrets. And it was a slow and patient attack that was very uh, methodically planned and executed over time. So there are a lot of opportunities to really see, again, what uh, a specific threat actor is doing and get a sense for how we can protect against that threat actor. But also, we know that other threat actors are, are looking at uh, the success of this attack, and they're going to start replicating that success. So how can we prepare for those uh, eventualities as well, too? To what degree are the, the TTPs used in an attack like this you know, considered to be burned now, that, that you know, they, they've been used up and we have to move on to other things? Is, is that a factor in something like this? Sadly, a lot of the techniques they use in the intrusion were, were basic password spraying, you know, exploits the vulnerabilities of unpatched devices. That was uh, some of the basics. So they're really not burned. I think what uh, this group's um, made them different is the bespoke human-operated nature of their attacks. You know, they leveraged a wide range of techniques to achieve penetration. They adapted their tool set to the victim's unique environment. Uh, they did things like, you know, waiting a month until a reboot so to see which systems weren't patched and then exploiting those systems. So just the patience and stealth deployed by this threat actor, I think, is what makes them unique not specific zero days or, or anything like that. Um, and that can allow us into a full sense of uh, security when we say, hey, it was a zero day, it's burned. Uh, this is a new way of approaching attacks um, as opposed to a specific um, 
secret weapon that this organization used to mount this attack. So the things we've learned from this attack, how does it inform how we go forward here? What are the takeaway lessons here for organizations? Yeah, I've got really three that I really focused on in in reading through this report. And ultimately, we've discussed this before, I feel we need to stop focusing on the individual arrows, the attacks, and start identifying and shutting down the archers. And that's going after the adversary and understanding what the adversary uh, looks like and how they go about uh, their business. And there's a great uh, paper by a fellow you might know named uh, Rick Howard and his partner Ryan Olson uh, implementing (laughs) intrusion kill chain strategies, Uh, really the, uh, the idea of an adversary playbook, I think. Is starting to take off, building on the work of Lockheed Martin on the original kill chain, uh, but really identifying, you know, what is the TTP of a threat actor? How do we collect that? Um, how do we understand the actions they take? And then how do we automatically deploy and update our security controls to um, and our security posture in real time? Be that SOAR, be that DevSecOps or whatnot, but a real-time uh, sort of a response to threat actors, not just individual attacks is, I think, the first lesson that I really took away. The other two quick ones are just identity. Identity is the uh, the primary th- um, attack vector used, and uh, we need to really focus on identity as the new perimeter, and I think we're all coming to terms with that. But I think the most important one is we need to take care of our security teams. This was a, a low and slow you know, uh, attack vector over a year or so. Um, taking care of our security teams, uh, make defender fatigue is really a real thing. Uh, we need to make sure that we're looking after our teams. We need to have reserves. We have to ensure that there's not fatigue and uh, and exhaustion that's happening with our teams so that they can identify, they can react, and they can spot some of these long-term trends. But then, you know, be all hands on deck when there is an incident uh, and be uh, prepared and have the energy and reserves to respond. And how do you do that? As, as, a, as a leader of a team, you know, in this time of COVID, it's, that's got to be a challenging thing to do. It's very challenging, and uh, we've discussed in the past, being an introvert, it's really hard to inspire your troops <laughs> during uh, a pandemic when you're doing it on video. So you know, we, we've gone away from prioritizing things like team building or collaboration or whatnot because there's just so much work to do. And a lot of our people are feeling just um, defeated when they face threat actors like this that are so organized. And uh, the campaign is so well executed over time by a nation state actor during a pandemic. Um, again, stepping back on looking at uh, how we can do things more strategically, um, how we can start to build automation and take advantage of things like artificial intelligence or adversary playbooks or SOAR or whatnot to take some of the workload and some of the the, the mindless tasks uh, away from our, our defenders so that they can focus on what they do best, which is uh, things like threat hunting and whatnot, which machines really just can't do as well as humans yet today. But it's also more fulfilling work for the individuals on the team as well uh, to do something different rather than always fall following up on whether that was a real phishing attempt or not, which can be very disheartening and, and really lead to, to vendor fatigue very quickly. All right. Well, interesting insights as always. Kevin McGee, thanks for joining us. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast, where I contribute to a regular segment called Security. Ha! I join Jason and Brian on their show for a lively discussion of the latest security news every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks where all the fine podcasts are listed. 
The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Falecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.